Thank you for downloading the Plod podcast, Police Law On Demand, brought to you by 3D solicitors and barristers from Sergeants in Chambers. In our podcast series, we are going to discuss a range of topics affecting police officers and anyone involved in the criminal justice system. For more updates on police law, follow the Sergeants in Police Law blog at ukpolicelawblog.com. If you have any suggestions for any topics that you would like us to cover, please email plod at 3d-solicitors.com. The outbreak of COVID-19 has changed our lives. Employers have had to consider ways in which they can continue to operate safely. All employees have been encouraged to work from home unless it is impossible to do so. Where working from home is not possible, workplaces are expected to make every effort to comply with the social distancing guidelines set out by the government. Amid the current national crisis, there's lots of guidance which has been produced by the government and various courts and tribunals. I'm Deborah Britstone from 3D Solicitors, and with me to discuss this is Cecily White from Sergeants in Chambers. Cecily, what does the government guidance mean for police misconduct hearings and whether these can take place in person? Thanks, Deborah. Well, in police misconduct proceedings, it's the so-called appropriate authority who's responsible for the arrangement of hearings, usually assisted by professional standards departments and hearing units. Um, But it is ultimately for the legally qualified chair to determine the procedure at hearings. And that means that case management decisions, including whether a hearing needs to be postponed or whether it can go ahead and if so, in what form, um, those decisions are usually taken by the LQC, the chair, usually following submissions from both sides, from the appropriate authority and the officer who is facing the misconduct proceedings. As you referred to in your opening, the, the government have introduced a series of measures in the last few weeks. Importantly for police misconduct hearings, any work in relation to such hearings can only take place within the bounds of the health protection coronavirus restrictions regulations. There are equivalent provisions in England and in Wales, which basically provide that during the emergency period, no person may leave the place where they're living without reasonable excuse. And reasonable excuse includes travelling for the purposes of work where it's not reasonably possible for that person to work from the place where they're living or to fulfil a legal obligation including attending court or satisfying bail conditions or to participate in legal proceedings. It might be thought that those provisions could in some circumstances cover attendances at police misconduct hearings and court hearings generally but The prevailing view at the moment is that there are going to be significant problems if appropriate authorities and or LQCs insist on hearings taking place in person as normal. Um, That's because the travel to such hearings and the proximity with other participants is likely to increase the risk of infection. And of course, some participants may uh, be unable to participate for whatever reason, whether that's a member of the panel, the officer, a representative or a witness, uh, either because they've got symptoms of the disease or someone they're living with has symptoms of the disease. And that means that practical arrangements for hearings could quickly become unworkable. So the, the consequence of that is that 
many in-person hearings in many jurisdictions have been suspended and in practice it's probably only going to be if there is some urgent need for the hearing to take place in person that it will proceed in person and in all other cases the parties are going to be thinking about whether or not the hearing can take place remotely. So does that mean that misconduct hearings are all likely to be adjourned? Good question. I don't think it does and it doesn't mean that hearings should automatically be postponed or vacated. The guidance from the civil courts, including the Lord Chief Justice, has been that the administration of justice should continue during these unprecedented times. It shouldn't just grind to a halt. Uh, So that means people shouldn't just be postponing everything. Uh, Of course, we don't know how long this current situation is going to last. So one difficulty is knowing how long to put something off for. The civil courts are certainly taking a lot of effort to put in place arrangements to use telephone, video and other technology to continue as many hearings as possible remotely. Uh, Just recently, a judge in an insolvency case has rejected an application for an adjournment of a five-week trial coming up in June. Um, That application for the adjournment was actually supported by both sides. So both sides were asking for the case to be put off. And the judge said, no, we're not going to put it off until you've looked into the possibilities of holding it remotely. In terms of police misconduct hearings, we can expect a similar approach to be taken, i.e. efforts being made for as many hearings as possible to be conducted remotely by video and telephone. Of course, remote hearings aren't ideal. They're not the same as being in court. Uh, But these are not ideal circumstances. These are exceptional times. And because we don't know exactly how long the outbreak and the lockdown is going to last, there is likely to be some backlog. And it is in everyone's interests to minimise that backlog so that when things get back to normal, the cases which are built up are not at an unworkable level. Okay, so we've all had um, bad experiences of conference calls. Um, Aren't remote hearings going to be a bit of a nightmare in terms of the practicalities? And might that be unfair for officers who stand accused of gross misconduct and who are entitled to a full and fair hearing? I entirely understand this concern. As for the practicalities, many people are naturally reluctant when it comes to remote hearings due to the practical challenges they pose. However, as I've mentioned, the civil and criminal courts are making great efforts to get technology in place which will enable the administration of justice to continue. Because appropriate authorities and professional standards departments are responsible for arranging hearings, it will fall primarily to them to make sure that suitable arrangements are in place to allow all parties to participate in a hearing remotely. There is a range of technology available Uh, Video software accommodating multiple participants uh, includes Skype for Business, Teams, Zoom, BlueJeans, Cisco video meetings. So appropriate authorities and professional standards departments will need to explore the functionality and importantly the security of those programmes and decide which they think is the best of the available options as soon as reasonably practicable. Uh, In my experience, Zoom is being used quite a lot uh, because it permits multiple participants, some of whom can be transparently excluded from time to time and placed in a waiting room, which can be quite a useful function. Skype for Business has been used in a 
widely publicised court of protection case involving five parties, 11 witnesses, uh, and including expert witnesses being cross-examined. So that's quite some feat to do that uh, remotely. Teams is being used for inquests. Uh, Blue Jeans has been used for multi-day hearings. And I'm aware of at least one force having used Cisco for a police misconduct hearing. So these technologies are being used. Of course, that's just the general position. In relation to any particular hearing, the decisions as to whether and how the hearing should go ahead are ultimately matters for the the LQC, the chair, in light of the circumstances of the case and, of course, the party's submissions. For that reason, professional standards departments need to be proactive in contacting chairs appointed to their cases and prompting the chair to raise those issues with the parties so that both sides can make submissions on what and whether they think can work, probably by email in the first instance, and then issues can be explored as necessary at a preliminary hearing by video or telephone. Clearly, any remote hearing still needs to be a fair hearing. However, both appropriate authorities and the LQC have responsibilities to ensure that misconduct proceedings are progressed expeditiously and are not allowed to drift indefinitely. Continued postponement can be quite undesirable, including for the officer um, who has the prospect of proceedings hanging over him or her for a longer time. Delay can also affect the quality of witness evidence because as we all know, human memories fade with time and that can make things more difficult to recollect. And of course, if there is going to be any adjournment, that needs to be kept under review. So should all cases proceed via remote hearing? Are there certain cases that are likely to be more suitable for for that kind of hearing? It is always going to depend on the facts of individual cases, but I think it is possible to tease out some relevant considerations. Of course, each case will have its own particular circumstances that need to be taken into account too. Some factors which I think are going to be relevant to whether or not a hearing can take place effectively by video are likely to include, firstly, can all the participants access the technology? Of course, that includes the officer, anyone who's representing him, all members of the panel and any witnesses who are giving evidence. So that's question number one, quite a significant question. Mm. Uh, Secondly, the likely complexity and length of the hearing. So how many witnesses are we talking about? Obviously, that's going to add to the significance of point number one. If you've got lots of witnesses who all need to access the technology, logistically, that's likely to be more challenging than if you've only got a handful. Thirdly, and relatedly, the extent of any factual dispute. So have you got a a large number of hotly contested facts? requiring lots of different witnesses to be challenged. That's likely to affect the complexity of the arrangements. And finally, and this is overlapping the first three reasons, how many witnesses are you talking about? You'll recall that the attendance of the officer concerned, uh, there are already provisions for the officer concerned to attend by telephone or video where appropriate. The regulations already provide for that. And it's not unusual in other proceedings, particularly uh, criminal proceedings, for witnesses to give evidence via video link. So this is not, giving evidence by video link is not itself new. However, practically speaking, it's going to depend on whether PSDs have got in place the arrangements for uh, 
more complex trials and hearings and it may be that more complex hearings involving multiple witnesses and or large bundles of material lots of documents may have to be postponed until such time as they can be conducted effectively either remotely or in person however shorter hearings let's say three days or fewer and cases where misconduct is substantially admitted so where the disputed facts are limited those can probably be proceeded with uh, provided that the chosen technology has been used effectively and can be used effectively. Fast track hearings will by definition tend to be shorter and less complex. So it will probably be sensible for appropriate authorities to try to proceed with shorter cases first. That will have the benefit of providing a bit of experience and a bit of road testing. Mm. Road testing will be really important to make sure the technology works and to produce guidance for participants on what to do and perhaps more importantly what not to do uh, so that everything's working to a good standard in advance of the hearing. As everyone becomes more experienced in video hearings it may well prove possible to hold more of them remotely so to have more complex cases heard in that way and that would be further to the guidance from the civil courts for as many hearings as possible uh, to be heard remotely. Okay, so what about things like lost internet connection or poor sound or picture quality? Aren't they likely to impact on the overall fairness of the hearing? And even if the technology does work effectively, isn't it still quite different and arguably less effective for all parties to be participating via their phones and computers instead of in person in a formal court or hearing room setting? I think there are two dimensions to this. Firstly, it's sometimes suggested that judges can't assess witnesses' demeanour and credibility as effectively unless they do this in person. The Court of Appeal has cast doubt on that, and in a, an immigration case, Lord Justice Leggett effectively said that to attach any significant weight to impressions of witnesses in assessing credibility risks making judgments which at best have no rational basis and at worst reflect conscious or unconscious biases and prejudice. So there has been some doubt cast on actually how important is it to assess people's uh, demeanour and behaviour in the witness box. Um, However, that's all to do with the judge's decision-making process which obviously has to be rational and fair. Your question touches upon everyone's experience of the hearing itself and the administration of justice more generally. And there are, it's true to say, very real differences between a remote hearing and a hearing in person, which can't be ignored. Court and hearing rooms are formal settings where all participants are dressed formally, able to see and hear each other, generally speaking, unless they're whispering to each other, And there are formalities observed, such as standing when the judge or panel enters the room, formal modes of address, and more of the participant's body language, eye contact and overall demeanour is publicly observable. You can see everyone in a courtroom, you can see witnesses, they can see the advocates, they can see the judge. And those are features of open justice, which are arguably very important for everyone participating in the justice system, particularly lay people uh, whose who who don't necessarily find themselves in the courts every day. Mm. So that's obviously the experience in a courtroom. On programmes such as Skype and Zoom, everyone's sitting in their own home, sometimes with questionable backgrounds, 
less of each participant is visible to the rest of the hearing. You can generally only see their upper body. And sometimes if there are multiple participants, you might only see a stamped size image of someone you're speaking to. Generally, no one is standing at any time. And some of the anecdotal evidence from the early hearing suggests that fewer formalities are observed in the way the participants address each other because of this more informal setting and mode of communication. Obviously, there aren't any distinctions in terms of where people are sitting, so there aren't any benches, the judge is not raised up or separated from everyone else in any way. And you generally see less of the participants during the course of the hearing, so you might be speaking and not seeing everyone who's listening to you, uh, which is quite different from being in a courtroom. These differences, of course, will be experienced by different people in different ways. Some people will prefer the greater informality and the benefits of remote hearing, such as not needing to travel. That's a huge benefit for many people. And being able to give evidence in the comfort of your own home, many people may find that much more reassuring uh, than having to go to an unfamiliar, severe courtroom setting to give evidence in front of people you don't know. However, others might find the experience of remote hearing quite alienating and distancing, uh, feeling that you're at one removed from everyone that you're speaking to. Of course, there are things that can be taken, steps that can be taken to address these legitimate concerns. Often the formality of the proceedings is heavily influenced by the judge or the panel chair. Um, that person often sets the tone for everyone else. Clearly, as your question touched upon, technical glitches of one sort or another, whether it's a delay or someone loses connection, those have the potential to distract from the evidence and overall detract from the solemnity and the formality of the whole process. And that's why it's so important to iron these out in advance to make sure that it doesn't disrupt the flow of proceedings. Ultimately, um, every case will turn on its own facts. And of course, in police misconduct hearings, the views of the officer concerned will be important. That person is ultimately answering the allegations. Some officers may welcome this chance to make progress and avoid adjournment and delay, dragging things out and compounding the effects on the officer and his or her family. Um, but others may understandably be reluctant to participate until they know the arrangements can work effectively. And that's why it's so important for appropriate authorities and professional standards departments to make sure that they have those arrangements in place. So do you have any tips for officers or PSD working out whether or not it will be possible to proceed with a remote hearing? I think for all participants, getting used to the technology and having a trial run is the best way of mastering the technical glitches which inevitably arise. So that's why having some sort of road test involving everyone, all parties, in advance is the best way to go. There are, in addition, a few things that need to be remembered, remembered at all times. Some things are more relevant to appropriate authorities, some things more relevant to other participants. Firstly, all hearings have to be recorded. That's obviously vitally important for anything that follows. And it's important for professional standards departments not to rely on the reliability of the equipment, uh, the software program, in terms of recording. There needs to be some independent method of recording to make sure the hearing is capable of being transcribed subsequently. It's also to be remembered that hearings still need to take place in public. So how are you going to do that? In practice, this will often mean inviting journalists to 
attend the hearing if they want to. If there's no press interest, then um, this doesn't arise. But if a journalist does wish to attend, just as they might in person, there needs to be some facility to enable them to attend, if not participate, in the remote hearing. So, of course, submissions on whether or not the hearing should take place in public or private still need to be made because the same considerations still arise. During the course of the hearing, this is one of the trickier areas which I think people are still ironing out at the moment. It may be necessary, for example, in the use of force case, to play video or audio footage like body worn footage. How are you going to do that? How is everyone going to watch the body worn at the same time and pick over sections of it if that's relevant to the evidence? Uh, that's the sort of thing that should be part of the road testing in advance to work out how are you going to do that. Similarly, with bundles and documents, everyone needs to have access to the electronic material in the same uh, format so that everyone can follow. And that, that applies to both sides. Anything that the officer wishes to rely on needs to be easily accessible as well. The panel members need to be able to deliberate privately. And it may well be in, in some cases, the panel may themselves convene at the same location, obviously appropriately spaced with the parties attending remotely, or the panel may also be by video uh, liaising in the same way that everyone else is, but there needs to be a facility for them to deliberate, of course, on their own in private without other people attending that part. There might need to be rooms and facilities made available by the force for participants who are unable to access video technology in their own home. Another point that's very important is someone needs to be designated to monitor the technology during the course of the hearing and to flag if someone's gone offline or lost connection. This probably needs to be someone with IT experience. It could be one person for each side designated to perform that job. But one way or another, there needs to be someone monitoring it and someone who doesn't have another role in the proceedings. So someone who's not responsible for recording or speaking and, of course, not the officer himself or herself. The parties need to think about how they're going to take instructions and give and receive instructions in their own teams. So clearly the officer will want to liaise with his representatives, just as the AA will want to liaise with his or her representatives too. So how's that going to be done in a way which isn't publicly available to everyone else? Uh, in my experience, quite a lot of teams are using WhatsApp, which is a simple, easy way of connecting with more than one person. It can be on your phone rather than on your computer. So you, and it's uh, not audible. So you can take instructions that way during the course of the hearing without everyone else uh, knowing about it. And finally, drawing together all these strands, some basic guidance might help for, for participants who aren't familiar with remote hearings. Once forces have more experience of conducting them, there will be a body of experience and there will be some do's and don'ts which can be extracted from that and circulated to participants who aren't so familiar with how things work to guide them as to what to do and what not to do. As I said, whether any particular case is suitable for a remote hearing and if so, what steps need to be taken to get it ready for such a hearing should generally be the subject of submissions by both sides in advance and may well benefit from consideration at a preliminary hearing. For any further information on any of the topics we've discussed and the COVID-19 situation generally, please do feel free to visit the UK Police Law blog. Thank you, Cecily. Thank you very much. 
Thank you for downloading the Plod Podcasts, Police Law On Demand, brought to you by 3D solicitors and barristers from Sergeants in Chambers. For more updates on police law, follow the Sergeants in Police Law blog at ukpolicelawblog.com. If you have any suggestions for any topics that you would like us to cover, please email plod at 3d-solicitors.com.